Uh, good morning, Merry Christmas, and for those of you in the Dina family, happy fourth anniversary. This is the fourth birthday of Dina Community Church, and we intentionally planned the birth of our church to coincide with the birth of our Savior so that we would regularly be reminded of why we're here, whom we belong to, whom we serve, and so that every Christmas season would give us cause to celebrate our Savior and our Lord. And so it's especially appropriate on this Christmas day that I invite you to open to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, where we will hear the account of the birth of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Last week, Matthew began with the genealogy of Jesus, affirming that Jesus is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the prophet, priest, and king who came as promised, that He is also the Son of David to whom God pro uh, promised an eternal reign and rule, and He is the Son of Abraham. And in Him, not just the Jews, but all the nations of the world will be blessed. And now in verse 18, He follows the genealogy with the birth of the Messiah. And we're going to see four main movements. Jesus' divine conception, the angelic identification, His prophetic fulfillment, and his faithful parents. Let's begin in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So Matthew's opening assertion, the very first statement of our New Testament, is that Jesus is the Messiah. And the Hebrew Messiah is rendered in Greek Christ. And so now we're going to see the word Christ often appended, <coughs> added to Jesus' name. And every time you see or hear the name Jesus Christ, we're to think in our minds, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised prophet and priest and king. And so he says, this is the birth of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, that began when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. In Jewish culture at the time, when a young man reached around the age of 18 and was nearing the ability to provide for a family, his family would often arrange a marriage with a young lady around 12 or 13 who had just reached puberty. So a graduating high school senior, his family would make an arrangement oftentimes with the parents of a sixth or seventh grade old girl for them to be engaged to be married. And this betrothal period would last around a year, and it was more significant and serious than our engagement because it was legally <coughs> binding. They were technically husband and wife even before they wed. And in order for the betrothal to be broken, it required a divorce. And if one was unfaithful to your uh, fiancé during this time, it was considered adultery, which was a capital offense in Israel at that time. And the fact that it says that she had been betrothed in the passive may indicate that this had been arranged by her family. And so my wife is from Asia and her parents were in an arranged marriage. We have friends from India and Asian countries and they are often in arranged marriages. And this was very likely an arranged marriage between a high school 18-year-old young man and a 12 or 13 year old girl. And it says that before they came together, Mary was found to be 
with child. So before they were wed, before they cohabitated, before they shared intimate marital relations, Mary became pregnant. And Luke, in his gospel, gives us more details of what was going on in the backstory of this. Luke tells us in the first chapter of his gospel that the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and said to her, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in the sixth month of her pregnancy, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. She didn't understand what was being announced. She didn't understand what was going to happen, but she was willing to be faithful. And if this is the Lord's will for her life, she said, Let it be done to me according to your will. Luke tells us that Mary left Nazareth to go and visit her uh, relative Elizabeth, who was six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And at her arrival, the baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist recognizing the coming of his Lord. So sometime between the announcement and her arrival in Judean hill country, Mary was allowed to become pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And she burst into song, My soul exalts the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. And the Bible says that Mary spent about three months with Elizabeth. So she likely remained with her until the birth of John the Baptist. So she was there with this godly older couple, Zechariah the priest and Elizabeth his wife, who had prayed for years and years to be able to have a child. And they were barren and they couldn't. And then in the temple, the angel appeared to Zechariah and said, Your prayers have been answered. And Elizabeth conceived, and this great older couple of faith was able to minister to Mary. And she had this miracle baby of her own. And then when John the Baptist was born, she was likely there when Zechariah burst into this word of prophetic praise, not to his son John, but about Mary's child, Jesus. It's called the Benedictus, and it begins like this. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation, that word again, for us in the house of David his servant. And as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And soon afterwards, Mary returned home. And you can imagine the elation of Joseph seeing his fiancée again. And she was beaming. She was rapturous. She was glowing. And she had a baby bump, which was problematic 
So for a woman pregnant for the first time, she typically begins to show 12 or 16 weeks into her pregnancy, which is the three months that she would have returned. So imagine the scenario. It's a small town, Nazareth. There's an engagement. There's a betrothal that would have been a community event. We're so excited for Joseph. We're so excited for Mary. Mary goes away to help her older relative, Elizabeth, in her late-term pregnancy, comes back three months later, and she's pregnant, which would have been much more scandalous in that day and age than our own. Uh, my parents grew up in a small West Texas community, and even then there were no secrets. Uh, some of y'all are old enough to remember uh, party lines where people shared phone lines, and you would have the operators plugging people in and out. And one time mom and dad were talking on the phone and said, you know, we better resume this conversation in private because so-and-so the operator might be listening. And this voice came over the phone, no, I'm not. And everyone knows everything in a small town. And in Nazareth, everyone knew she left betrothed, she returned pregnant, and her explanation, the Holy Spirit did it, which would have been hard for even a believing community of faithful Jews to accept. And it put Joseph in a quandary. Now the Bible says that Joseph is called her husband, not because there had been a marriage ceremony, but because betrothal was so significant, so serious, so binding, that they were already considered husband and wife. It also says that he was a righteous man, meaning that he was committed to obey the law of Moses. And the law of Moses required an unfaithful spouse to be put away, to be divorced, potentially to be stoned to death, to be executed. But he was also a merciful man, and he didn't want to disgrace her, but planned to send her away secretly. What this probably means is that he wasn't wanting a public trial before the elders in the synagogue that other people would have witnessed. He didn't want to humiliate her, to shame her further. But rather, he was going to do it quietly, in private, with two or, th two or three witnesses who would have seen him hand her the certificate of divorce, and she would have been sent away. He was going to obey the law. He was going to try to extend mercy. And you can imagine the broken heart of both Joseph and Mary at what they thought the law required. But then the angel intervened in verses 20 and 21. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph is in a quandary. He comes up with a plan. He'll put her away privately. And then, like his namesake Joseph in the book of Genesis, he has a dream. God speaks to him through the vehicle of a dream. The angel appeared directly to Mary. He appears to Joseph in a dream and says to him, Joseph, he knows his name, son of David. He mentions his lineage, his heritage, as the one from whom Messiah could come. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid of offending God. Don't be afraid of the implications of taking on this one who was having a child out of wedlock. Don't be afraid to raise a child that presumably belongs to a father other than yourself. Because... 
The child who has been conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. He gives independent testimony that this is a miracle baby. That the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, effected a miracle in Mary's womb and gave this conception, gave this new life of this babe that we know is going to be a boy, a son, and that we know is going to be given the name Jesus. Now, theologians have speculated why a miraculous conception, why a virgin birth, and some think it was so that Mary would not have to have intercourse with Joseph, that the seed of Joseph wouldn't carry the sin of Joseph, and therefore Jesus could be born a sinless child. But Mary was a sinner too. And so there wasn't a theological reason for this. Probably what God is doing is trying to highlight that there's going to be something significant about this child. Like other miracle conceptions of Isaac and Jacob and Samuel and Samson. And more recently, John the Baptist. But this is going to be unique. This is going to be stupendous in a way that all the community, and as the word went out, all the world should be saying, what is this child going to be? Uh, there's a medieval theologian named Anselm who has a beautiful speculation as to why the birth occurred this way. He says, God can make a person in four ways. One, either from a man and a woman in the common way, like we were born, of a father and a mother. Of neither a man or a woman, like he created Adam. So God created Adam from the soil without a father or a mother made him directly or of a man without a woman, as he made Eve. Eve came from a man. She didn't have a woman involved. But there was one way yet that God saved until the best babe of all would be born, of a woman without a man, which so far has never been done. And therefore, God reserved for this very purpose that he might take a man whose origin that we are seeking from a woman who came without a man so that we would all take notice that this babe was unique in all of human history. His name Jesus in Hebrew means Yahweh saves. Every time you hear or read the name Jesus, you should immediately think God saves. God saves. The very name Jesus reminds us that we were in need of a Savior, that we couldn't save ourselves, and that the whole purpose of Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection was to save us from our sins. Now, people want saviors. We want someone to deliver us. Those who are oppressed want a Savior from the oppressors. Those who are sick want a Savior from their illness. Those who are anxious or unhappy want a savior from their fears and their depression. But God doesn't just deal with these symptoms, but rather goes to the source of all of our suffering, namely our sin. And Jesus came to save us from our sins. Not merely from other sinners who do wicked things to us, but because we ourselves are our own worst enemies and we ourselves have sinned and offended God and we have been separated from Him and we needed a Savior, which is exactly what God gave us. Jesus, God saves, saves us from the penalty of sin. That because Jesus was born at Christmas and died on Good Friday and rose at Easter, all of our sins 
have been forgiven and we have been reconciled to God. Jesus delivers us from the power of sin. That because Jesus was born at Christmas and died on Good Friday and rose at Easter and now lives within us, He can overcome the sin that we struggle with in our life and make us more and more like Christ. And one day Jesus will deliver us, save us from the very presence of sin. And He is returning to establish a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more sorrow, no more woe, no more suffering ever again. That's the significance of Christmas. Jesus, Yahweh saves, came to save us from the power and the penalty and the very presence of sin that we couldn't save ourselves from. Sin is simply any act, any word, any desire, or any thought that falls short of God's perfect moral standards. And all of us are sinners because we have all done things, thought things, said things, and desired things that are unworthy of our God. So all of us have sinned, and therefore all of us are separated from the perfect God. And we could do nothing to restore that. We could do nothing to get clean. We could do nothing to get right with God. So God, in His great love, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. Jesus saves us from the condemnation that we deserved. Lisa mentioned the manger scenes. And the manger scenes came from Francis of Assisi, who had gone to the Holy Land and been so impacted with the things that he had seen that these aren't just stories. These don't just come from storybook Bibles. This isn't a cultural tradition, but this actually happened. That there was a place of Bethlehem and there was a place of Nazareth. And when he saw these scenes, he wanted to communicate to the people of Europe that this is true, this happened, this is history. And so he created the first manger scene. And it says that as he told the story of Christmas to the Italians gathered there in northern Umbria, that every time he said the name Jesus, he would lick his lips because it was so sweet to his tongue. And so he would say Jesus and lick his lips because of the sweetness and the savor of the name of Jesus. And the name is sweet because Jesus is our Savior. Because his very name reminds us that Yahweh saves. So let's look now at verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God's with us. So what happened here was not unanticipated in the Bible, although it was for Mary and Joseph. Six centuries before the birth of Christ, God had said to the prophet Isaiah that the virgin was going to be with child and would give birth to a son and his name would be called Emmanuel. So the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. The name Emmanuel means that God is with us. And what that means is that because of Christmas, we're reminded that God has not forgotten us that God didn't create the heavens and the earth and then move on to more pleasant worlds, more pleasant planets. God remembers us. He is with us because Jesus is Emmanuel. 
The name Emmanuel reminds us that God has not rejected or abandoned us. That even though we rejected and rebelled against God, that God did not abandon and disregard us. But He loved us so much that He sent His Son to be born. And He gave us the name Emmanuel to always remind us that God is with us. And because of Christmas, we're reminded that God loves us. That God chose to enter into this world with all of our trials and struggles and suffering because He loves us. That He chose to become a human being and to take on the limitations of flesh knowing that He would experience hunger and thirst and weariness and want. That He came and dwelt among us knowing that the people would mock Him and doubt Him and scorn Him and reject Him. That He came and lived among us knowing that He would be beaten and scourged and crucified. And so because of Christmas, we're reminded that God loves us. God has not forgotten us. God has not abandoned us. God loves us because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He was with us in the flesh. He is now with us in the Spirit. Where two or three are gathered in His name, we are in the presence of Christ. And so Christmas reminds us that Jesus is God's salvation. He is also Emmanuel, who is God with us. And then we see the faithful parents of the Messiah. Look at verses 24 and 25. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife. But he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus, the model child, had model parents. They weren't perfect, but they were faithful. When the angel came to uh, Mary and told her that she would have a conception without a marriage, Mary knew what that likely would have cost her, that her friends wouldn't understand. Her family might disown her. Her synagogue might excommunicate her. The elders might execute her. Her fiancé would not believe her. In following after God faithfully, Mary was willing to renounce everything that she had. At least that was at risk. And Joseph the same way. When he came and took Mary, the pregnant woman, as his wife and brought her into his home and made her his official wife. And it says he named his name Jesus, which meant he took legal parentage of this child. He was going to be the father legally of this child, even though he was not the father biologically of that child. Joseph and Mary were faithful. And then later God gave them additional children of their own. The Gospel of Mark names four sons and at least two girls. But they were faithful in the things that God had called them. And so this year at Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the Gospel of Matthew reminds us of several things. First of all, that Jesus was divinely conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was a miracle babe. He is the miracle child. He is the God-man who came for our salvation. The angel spoke from God identifying who this child was that He is God's salvation for us. That because of Christmas, we know that we don't have to try to save ourselves. But rather, God has accomplished salvation for us 
in the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that gift is offered to anyone who will receive it. There's nothing you have to do other than acknowledge that God is perfect and you're not and accept the gift of the Savior that God gave you at Christmas. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. That centuries of anticipation all culminated on that Christmas morning when in that manger and in that cave or whatever that setting was, the virgin gave birth to Jesus. God saves us. God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to be born for you. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And so as you wrap up the season and begin to tuck away your decorations, and the manger scenes go in their box or their bin for another year, Christmas is the beginning, not an end. It comes at the end of the year, partly historically, because last Wednesday was the winter solstice. It's the time astronomically when the planet Earth is furthest away from the sun, when things are at their darkest, when things are at their coldest. And fittingly enough, God gave us that dangerously cold Thursday to help us appreciate the coming of spring. So at that dark, distant moment, when things seem lost, Christmas comes and reminds us of the hope of the coming of the Son of God for our sake. It comes at the end of the year, but it's the beginning. And so as you go home and continue celebrating with your family, be mindful of the love of God who has not abandoned you, who has not forgotten you, who has not rejected you. And the proof of that is Christmas, is Christ, is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you for your truth that is... Uh, enduring. We thank you for your mercies that are unimaginable. Father, I thank you that your message is powerful, though your messengers are weak. <laughs> and thank you for your mercies upon us. So much we take for granted. Even the ability to stand and speak is an act of grace. And so, Father, we do pray that you would make us mindful of the Messiah on this Christmas. Lord, that you would open our minds to understand its significance, that you would open our hearts to receive your Savior. Lord, that we would commit ourselves to Christ. And as we conclude this season and enter into the new year, that we would follow after the one who came from heaven to become a man, to live and die and rise for us. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.